I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus before, to Joseph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let, me, let me try that again. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word. It says I'm on up here. All right. There we go. Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Stan McMahon. As Jonathan, uh, I think he mentioned my name. <laughs> uh, if you don't know who I am, I'm an associate pastor over at Trinity in Lakeland and have the wonderful privilege of planting one of the next daughter churches, just like y'all, out of Trinity within the next several months. There's a couple of us planting churches out of Trinity at the same time. Uh, Josh Floyd to North Lakeland. And my wife and I are going back to our hometown area down in Mulberry. Now, when people, you know, the first question people ask is, why Mulberry? Why would you do that? Uh, why would you return back? Because, you know, just one thing that God has put on my wife and I's heart uh, is the community's been growing over the years. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but Mulberry has been steadily growing. Mulberry looks to grow uh, into the future, but yet the number of new churches and the number of people going to those churches has been declining steadily. And there has never been a gospel-centered Presbyterian church ever in the whole history of the city in the zip code. And so we believe we have an opportunity, a wide open door, uh, to go to our hometown and the surrounding area down, you know, just south of Lakeland uh, to bring the gospel and, and help start more churches even after that. Uh, it's a great privilege to be a part of a church planning network with you here at Redeemer. It's a wonderful strength to my heart and to my wife's heart that we're not in this alone 
but that you guys are here with us. And this vision to fill my home county, your home county, Polk County, with gospel-centered churches, 20 churches in 20 years, is something that's lit up my heart. And so I would love to talk to you anytime about Mulberry. God has really blessed uh, gathering people around us to go. Uh, God has also blessed financially, but we're always looking for more of both of those, people and money. Uh, but if you just want to hear and, and pray for us, I would love to talk to you after service or set up a time to speak with you. That's who I am. I'm glad to be taking us into this next section of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, there's nothing better in terms of being a church planting church like yourselves and like us uh, than to study these most basic things of our faith. We believe these things are not just things we say, but we believe they give us hope, right? This is where all of our hope comes from. As Jonathan said, we stick it to the devil when we believe these things. We move out uh, victoriously in the victory of Christ when we cling to him, to the crucified and to the risen one. Uh, I've heard that the Apostles' Creed, someone once told me, and it stuck with me, the Apostles' Creed is kind of like a map. It maps out everything the Bible says. It, it shows us who God is, you know, in a map form. It shows us who we are. It shows us the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. But just like any map, it's one thing to sit there in an office studying the map. It's another thing to go traveling. <laughs> it's another thing to go to the country that the map is, is mapping out with the map in hand, going around, actually knowing by personal experience the things that you're learning in the map. And that's what we want to do. I think that's what is it behind the series that you're doing this summer, is not only that you would be able to nod your head and stand up and say and affirm, but you would take this Apostles' Creed like a map out into your lives and know the living God personally. The phrase that we're looking at this morning is that, that second or third phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ his only son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. In other words, we get to have Christmas in July this morning. Amen? Very fun. We just read the Christmas story, and sometimes that story becomes boring and passe because we say it again and again all throughout the year, and especially at Christmas time, we reduce it down to its you know, lowest common denominator. But if you really listen to what we just read, it's amazing. Uh, what we just read is why it's possible that the truth about God in the Bible and that's expressed in the, Apostle, the Apostles' Creed is not just a map to be studied in an office or in a church building, but it really is something we can know personally. How can we know it? Because God took an extreme measure to come down to us. God took extreme measures not just to stay distant from us, but to be near us and to be with us in our everyday life. I don't know if you've ever had an extreme problem that took extreme measures, but what we're going to see today is that God looked out at all of us, and he saw not just a tiny problem, he saw not just a problem that required a little assistance and help, but he saw an extreme problem, and so he went to extreme lengths to solve it. It was so extreme, in fact, that Joseph, the, you know, humanly speaking, the father of Jesus, didn't believe it at first. We read that. He didn't believe it, and it took an angel sent in a dream to Joseph for Joseph to be able to understand exactly just how extreme and amazing God's work is, and I think so for us this morning. If you look at your insert, there are three things based on what the angel tells Joseph, three things about God coming to be with us, what we as Christians call the incarnation, God in human flesh, three things that I want you to see. The first one is what it means. What is it? The second one is its purpose. What is it for? 
And the third one is what difference it can make in our lives or the result of it. Okay, the meaning, the purpose, and the result. Let's look at those three things together. First, there's the meaning. Uh, Joseph is a confused man <laughs> at the beginning of the story and a, and a heartbroken man. We shouldn't you know, just fly by this part of the story. In verse 18, we're told that Mary's baby, you know, Joseph, you know, Joseph is betrothed to Mary. Betrothal at the time was far more than engagement today. It was a legally binding arrangement. You had to get divorced in order to break off a betrothal. You were married except you weren't living together yet. Everything was legally set. And Joseph finds out Mary is with child. Mary's pregnant. And we know from verse 18 that child came not from a man but from the Holy Spirit. But did Joseph know that? (laughs) Joseph had no idea. And so Joseph, you can imagine, heartbroken, confused, has no idea what's going on. In fact, it says that being a just man, being someone who is compassionate and he loved people, he decided to just put her away quietly, to divorce her quietly and, and be gone with all the, all the mess and all the confusion. He thought Mary had been unfaithful. And so God, in his kindness, in his grace, while Joseph is still waffling, it says while he, in verse 20, he considered these things, while he was wrestling in his heart and his mind, what do I do? With Mary, whom I love, but it seems like Mary's been unfaithful, God sends this angel in a dream. And you can summarize the angel's message this way. This is not of man, Joseph. This is of God. This is not merely an act or a work of human ingenuity or human strength or human infidelity. This is a work of the living God. Notice in verse 20, the angel appeared and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. God's work, Joseph, not man's work. The Holy Spirit is mentioned, who throughout the Bible, you know, the Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. And throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit is described as that person who has the particular role within the Godhead of getting done the work that God had planned to do. So at creation even, just real quick, creation, the Holy Spirit hovered over the face of the waters before God made all the things that surround us in the natural world. The Spirit hovered, preparing everything, getting ready to carry out the plan that had been in the mind of God from eternity. When God protected his people, the Spirit rushed on, for example, Samson, and he defeated the Philistines. All throughout the Bible, God's work, God makes a plan and he does the work, and usually he sends the Spirit that third person of God to come into the world, hover over the situation, and to bring help from the outside, to bring God's power up from from below to save and to bring life and to bring healing. And so here in this scene, an astounding thing to think about, but all of God's work, all the things he had done over thousands of years of history up to this point in Matthew 1 came down to this one moment. When the Holy Spirit overshadowed this young girl, this girl from the mulberry of Israel, (laughs) Nazareth. She had, I mean, she was not a very important person. And yet the Holy Spirit came and overshadowed her and created in her life from her, but not fully of her. One person, Jesus Christ, God and man, showing us that it's not human work that's going to get it done. Showing Joseph he could rest at ease under God's sovereign care because this wasn't the act of man. This was God coming into this world and making something happen where we could not. 
And that's who Jesus Christ is. If you're here this morning and you're not sure, the answer to the question, who is Jesus Christ? What does he stand for? What did he come into the world for? There's your answer. He is God himself. That's what we believe as Christians. Who has entered into the human, human realm so completely that he has himself become a 100% human being. He walked among us, he showed us God's glory, and he acted in ways that saved us. And you know the amazing thing about it? Those who knew him the most, those who were around him most often, his disciples, they ate with him, they drank with him, they stayed with him, they woke up with him, they taught with him and traveled, they were with him the most. They are the ones who believed his audacious claim the most. (laughs) In other words, on close inspection, this idea that Jesus is not just a man, but he's God, it holds up under scrutiny. If you've never you know, searched the scriptures to, to really see the evidence for Jesus being God, and man, I urge you to do it because those who studied it most closely, Peter, James, John, others who were there, they believed it with all their hearts, so much so that they were willing to give their lives for it. And the same thing is true today. God is saying, I have not left you to yourself. I have entered in. I've come from above. Salvation, rescue, belongs only to me, and I have come to bring it to you. This is not self-help this morning. This is not just a little bit of good advice. Too often, right, in, in church and other places, we reduce faith down to just good advice. Hey, here's how Jesus did it. You go try that. Here's what God says. Here's his commandments. Now you go get busy and hone your skills and work on being a great person. Instead, we get, instead of good advice, we get good news. Uh, news is not something we do. It's something already been done. News is not something that we can produce. It's something someone else has done that we're hearing about it, breaking into our lives, able to change every single thing about us. It's a little bit, about, it's a little bit like with my four-year-old and three-year-old daughters asking them to clean their room and giving them all the advice and all the commands in the world about cleaning their room and then sending them to do it. How clean do you think it gets? (laughs) We've been trying to sell our house. Praise God we have a contract on it right now. Hopefully that sticks. But what that has meant is every day we've had to have it show ready. And we've got three kids running around. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's terrible, right? It's a terrible place to be. And so very often... The past several weeks, we've sent our daughters, go clean your room. And we've gone in after a while, and it's just as bad as before. Sometimes it's worse. Can you believe that? Because their efforts are so bad (laughs) that it actually makes the room more dirty. And so at some point, my wife and I always realize, wait a minute, they're three, or they're they're four, and they're two, or they're four and three. I don't even remember my kids' ages. This is how crazy it is. At some point, we realize we have to go in there, and we have to get down with them, and we have to actually clean it for them. Hopefully to show them over time what it looks like so that they can understand our commands so that they can do it. Well, God did something similar, except no matter how much modeling or instruction he gave us, we could never do what Jesus did, ever, in a million, billion years. But God got down with us. He got down on the floor, if you will, and he cleaned up the room of this world. God himself became a human being. What's amazing about this is he didn't just become a man, he became a baby, He didn't just become a baby in this story. He became a fetus in the womb of Mary. (laughs) Can you imagine the infinite God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God submitting himself to become a fetus? This is why C.S. Lewis said this is the miracle of all miracles. This is the miracle that if it's true, 
then we shouldn't have a problem with any other miracle that we read about in the Bible or any other miracle that we're hoping for in our lives. We're hoping to change. We're hoping to not be so selfish and to become people who are, who are really lit up in love for God and neighbor. That's a miracle. That's nothing compared to God becoming a fetus and growing up as a human being and laying down his life. All of, if this is true, all of our hopes are realized. You see, it's true that you and I look around the world and we see problems in the world and we know, just like my kids cleaning the room, that all the human efforts over all the thousands of years haven't worked to fix the real problem. I mean, year after year, politicians say, we're going to fix it. Year after year, new businesses start. We're going to fix it. We're going to get solutions. And it always fails. And so no wonder as human beings we have this longing in our heart for something bigger than ourselves to enter the world and to do it for us. Well, if this story is true, those aren't just wishful thinking. Right now, two of the top movies in the box office are Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. I saw Spider-Man at least. It's pretty good. And those two movies, why are they number one in the box office? Cool graphics, probably partly. But also because they express that longing, something superhuman, fixing our problems. All that is just hogwash if God did not become a man and enter into our world and seek to save it from above, from outside of ourselves. But if it's true, don't you see how this story, the meaning of this incarnation is that there's hope, there's peace. That's the meaning of it. The second thing I want you to see this morning is there was a specific purpose of it. You know, we've been saying it's for rescue, it's for rescue, it's to save us. But to save us from what, you know? I mean, what do we need to be saved from? There's all different ideas out there about what the main problem with us human beings in this world is. The angel tells Joseph directly in verse 21. One of my favorite verses in the Bible where the angel says to Joseph, not Mary, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. A name that means God saves, only God saves. For he, this baby, will save his people from their sins. The angel makes it clear to Joseph the purpose of God becoming a human being and living a human life and dying on the cross. It was to save us from our sins. Now, this was bigger and better and greater than what anybody at the time expected. Scholars will tell you, when Jesus was born, everybody was talking about Messiah, Messiah, the Christ, the Christ. When's he going to come? But what was it they wanted him to come for? They wanted him to come for political liberation. They were under the thumb of the Romans, and they wanted to get out from under that thumb. They wanted to be free and, you know, self-governing as a nation of Israel. And, you know, political liberation is a big deal. We just celebrated it a few days ago. We set off a bunch of fireworks. We ate a bunch of food for political liberation. It's an absolutely awesome thing, and God is concerned about that. But this verse is telling us there's something deeper. This verse is telling us that all the political liberation in the world, all the freedom from poverty in the world or what injustice or anything like that, all of that is nothing if you don't deal with the very root of the problem. And the root of the problem is what, this, what the Bible calls sins, which has to do with how we as human beings stand before God, the holy God. Is that what you feel to be your ultimate problem? Is that what Winter Haven feels to be its ultimate problem? What about Polk County, Mulberry, Lakeland? Is that what we really feel? If we went out on the street today, if we went downtown and began to survey people, 
If you could have God solve one problem in your life, what would you have him solve today? What answers do you think people would give? What answers would you give? What, what would I say? We might say financial, relational. I want you to help my relationships not be a mess, make my family not so crazy. I mean, we, we would list lots and lots of things probably before we would get to, God, save me from my sins. And yet the angel to Joseph says that's the very thing we need. We're slaves to sin. We don't have true righteousness. We stand before God in the position of an enemy who deserves his justice. We are ungrateful to, to our creator, always trying to ignore him, not listen to him, go our own way always trying to replace him and worship ourselves and all kinds of creative things, that's the biggest problem. That's the root. And when we only try to solve the surface problems, it's like me in my, my front yard at home with my weeds. I don't want to take the time to pluck them one by one, so I just take the weed eater out, or I run the lawnmower over them, and it knocks off the top. And for a little while, a few days, it looks like I have an awesome yard. Weed-free, right? Then a few days later, I believe somehow cutting off the top makes them stronger, and somehow it makes them multiply. I don't know how exactly that works, but more come back, and they come back far stronger. What you have to do, and it's really hard work. I hate doing it. But you have to get down, and you have to pluck each one from the roots. And what the angel is saying is Jesus came into this world not to lop off the top of the human problem. He cares about the top, but he came to pluck it by its roots so that the tops never grow back. He came to make a whole new creation, starting with me and you. That we would be sons and daughters of the living God brought into newness of life from him. That should be hope-giving to us. That should be life-giving and hope-giving to our entire cities, to our communities. That we get to go out and tell people, are you distressed? Are you full of anxiety? Are you hungry and don't know what can satisfy your hunger? Are you angry and bitter and don't know why you're angry and bitter? Are you snob, a snob and don't know why you're a snob? <laughs> Are you full of distress and darkness and your life feels like it's just one thing after another and there's no real hope that you can find in your own efforts? We're going out telling people the great news, breaking news. There is Christ who has come into this world. There is God who has entered this world. And he came not just to lop off the top and make things look better. He came to pluck out sin by its roots. Now, how did Jesus do that? It says here, he will save his people from their sins. How did he do it? We read it in our assurance of pardon this morning. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Though he was rich, yet he became poor for our sake, so that by his poverty we might be enriched. Now, how rich was Jesus? If he's God the Son forever, I mean, living in the presence of the Father and the Spirit, angels worshiping him all the time. Perfect satisfaction, perfect contentment in his relationship with the Father. Owning everything that exists in all of creation because he made it. And yet Jesus loved us so much that he willingly gave all that up. He laid it aside. He laid aside his glory to move to Nazareth. To become a fetus. To grow up. To live a human life under the law. And then at the end of his perfect, beautiful, glorious life, they treated him like he was a criminal. He was impoverished to the level of a common felon, and he was nailed to the cross. A gruesome and a bloody death. I mean, you can't imagine a more gruesome way to die. And the Bible says it wasn't just the physical torment, it was the spiritual that made Jesus weep and sweat and not really know that he could, humanly speaking, get it done. 
Because in that moment, he was in your place, if you believe in him. In that moment, he was in my place. And all the punishment that my sins deserve, that your sins deserve, the way we've messed up the world, Jesus died being punished in our place. And the Bible says that he rose again so that having all power, he can scatter, he can give the blessings of his death and resurrection to anybody who would believe. Now, that's good news, isn't it? It's glorious, it's gracious, nobody does this. I mean, notice he says, save them from their sins. It doesn't say God came to this world to save us from this accidental distress that we just so happened to trip into. That would be easy to imagine. Poor people, they didn't know what they were doing. They just fell over the edge. I'm going to go down and grab them and get them up. No, it says it will save them from their sins. The definition of that is they fought God. They've hated God. They've railed against him. You and I have done that. We've tried to ignore and replace him very willingly, very freely. And yet God has entered this world and said, I'm going to save you from it. I mean, if you're a business leader here, a business owner, how many of you would, if you had an employee on your staff that you found out was trying to hijack the company, trying to take your place, and meanwhile convincing other people on their side and running the business in the ground in the process, how many of you would retain that employee? How many of you would not fire them on the spot? And if you wouldn't retain them, certainly you wouldn't invest great amounts of money and time and care into them. And yet God has done that with you. If you trust in Jesus, God has done that for all of us. Instead of casting us out and firing us and condemning us, he's come down. And he's invested his very highest and his very best, his very own son. That's the purpose of the incarnation. To save us from our sins, to pluck it up by the roots. Now the final thing today is what's the result? What difference can it make in your life? And, and here, Matthew helps us understand that by explaining the angel's words in verses 22 and 23 and following. Notice what he says. All of this, God becoming flesh to save us from our sins, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And he quotes from Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What difference can it make in our lives? Matthew's saying all of it was meant for this one purpose, to make this difference in your life so that God would be with you. So that God would not just be your business partner or your advisor, you know, swooping into your life at the convenient moments to help straighten everything out and give you some, you know, good pointers. That's how we want to treat God, isn't it? And it's saying here that instead, the difference that God wants to make is he wants to actually move into your life completely. He doesn't just want to be a business partner or an advisor. He wants to be your spouse. He wants to be your friend. He wants to move into the neighborhood and into your home and take up every space of your life and begin to shape you. That's what God with us means. It means he's not against us, he's for us, but it also means he's not far away from us. He's not distant. He wants to be right there. He wants a personal relationship with us. Can you believe the living God who made everything wants to stoop so low that he wants to know me? That he wants to know you, that he wants us to share our lives with him, and he wants, in turn, to share his life with us. It's amazing. I mean, this quote from Isaiah comes from a, a particular context that's important. Uh, the king was Ahaz. And it says in Isaiah 7 that 
Ahaz was shaking like a tree in the wind because two powerful nations were trying to take over Jerusalem. And God sent Isaiah and said, Ahaz, I don't want you to be afraid. I'm going to take care of my people, and I want you to ask me of any sign. Ask me to do something for you. Ask me to solve a problem for you. Make it as high as you can imagine, and I'll do it to show you my commitment to my people. And Ahaz didn't believe. Ahaz was an unbeliever. And he, ref- he said, but he acted pious. So he said, I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. I'm not going to ask him to do anything for me because I wouldn't want to impose on God. Well, God got angry with that. And God said, you're exasperating me, Ahaz. You're driving me crazy. But I'm still going to give you a sign anyway. But I'm going to pick the sign. I'm going to pick the highest one that I could possibly pick. And then he says those words. Here's the highest sign. The virgin will conceive. And will bear a child. And that child will grow up. And everyone will call that child Emmanuel. Why? Because that child will restore God to relationship with you. And will restore you to to relationship with God. What's God saying? The highest thing I could give you is not to solve your financial problems. The highest thing I can give you is, is not to make relational wholeness in your life. The highest thing I can give you is me with you and you with me. All the other stuff begins to shape and change and transform in the process, but all those other things are nothing compared to the main thing. God has moved into the neighborhood. God wants to know us. And so the question for us is, have our lives changed? <laughs> are we travelers or just readers of the creed? Do we go to the play? Do, do we know God and walk with him through life? Is this really a guide to real life for us? It can be. By faith, it can be. I mean, Joseph, no, notice his life after this. It was never the same again. In verses 24 and 25, we learn that Joseph did something radical. He did something amazing. He did everything the angel had told him, it says. He took his wife, Mary, and he knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. What does that tell you? That tells you when you begin to accept the idea of God with us, nothing in your life is going to be the same again. And if your relationship with God has meant nothing in your life has changed, then you don't have a relationship with God. God always disrupts. God always calls us to do hard things. It was hard for Joseph to do this. It was a shame and a scandal for him to marry someone who had gotten pregnant and not by him and outside of marriage. At that time, it was a shame and it was a scandal. People would have blackballed him. They would have talked bad about him. He would have been the talk of the town in a very, very, very bad way. And yet Joseph said, this promise of God with us is worth it. And this God who has moved into the neighborhood, I want to be with this God all through life. And so my life's not going to be the same. And that's that's what we've got to ask ourselves. Do we come to the Bible really wanting to listen and change? Or just really wanting to get our ideas confirmed? A relationship with God means we come wanting it to be changed. Do, Do we know that God loves us? And is that the thing that really controls all of our thoughts and all of our dreams and aspirations in life? Or is it something else? A relationship means his love begins to direct it all. Do we have courage, like obedience that's courageous? I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I'll pay any cost. Or are we very timid and we hold back and, Lord, I'll only do so much for you? Just in closing, on a personal note, as we've moved out to church planting, and this doesn't have to be through church planting. You can learn this in so many ways. Believe me, God will teach you this, (laughs) how much... 
we imagine life to be so different than he wants it to be. But, but as we've gone out to plant a church, I've realized, wait a minute, God didn't promise me the escalator ride to the top. <laughs> God didn't promise me everything is just going to get better and better and better. Sort of the American dream that we all have grown from childhood thinking is going to be true. No, instead, what I'm learning is to follow God and to be with God is to go lower and lower and lower. More and more humble, more and more cross-shaped. If our Lord saved us by dying on a cross, he said, you're going to also have to carry one. That's hard for us in our comfortable American middle class, where it seems like the only goal we have in life is just the nice middle class house, nice middle class friends, nice middle class schools, nice little you know, middle class churches, instead of, Lord, what would you have us do? which will always move us, like God did, to leave behind our riches, to become poor in order to enrich others around us. That's what it means to know God. And the only way that kind of life can be true of us is if we really do know him. So this morning, the offer is there on the table. Not just God as your businessman, your advisor, but God who's became fully human God who died on the cross to save us from all of your sins so that you can walk with him in daily life and see your life transform in his presence. Pray with me this morning. Father, we praise you that you are faithful to all of your words. And it's just astonishing when we read the Christmas story again, even in July, that All those years, you had made all of those promises, and every single one of them was kept. The promises were were more than what we maybe bargained for, because it's more than just a little help and a little, uh, you know, God who will give us what we want, but it's God who moves in in all of his glory and all of his majesty and might. And so we just want to invite you, Lord, not that you need an invitation, But we want to show our willingness by saying, God, open up our hearts that the king of glory may come in. That God with us may be a reality. That our lives might actually transform to look like the life of your son, Jesus Christ. For your glory and for the good of this city of Winter Haven. For the good of Lakeland and Mulberry and Bartow and all of Polk County. Fill it with your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for having me this morning. It was great worshiping with you. Uh, I'd love to talk to anybody who wants to know more about our our mission after service or if you just want to say hey. But uh, now if your faith is in Christ, uh, receive the benediction. The benediction really is God saying I'm with you for the long haul in everything. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.